and living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should, if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and take a seat. Let's pray. God of grace, come be with us today. We know that you are here already. Move in us and through us and among us to speak your words of life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Any of you guys have a trampoline growing up? Show of hands, yep. I also had a trampoline growing up. My parents came home one day in the springtime after their tax return and said, kids, go downstairs in the basement and we'll be back in a couple hours. Don't come upstairs. We were like, what's going on? Uh, a couple hours later, they came down and said, yeah, we're having some trouble. Why don't you guys come up and help us? And they were trying to put a trampoline together by themselves. And it can be difficult. So uh, it was a family affair. We got the trampoline put together. And we soon learned some of the very important principles of a trampoline. If you've ever been on a trampoline, you know these. That if you time your jump with another person just right, you can, on the one hand, completely steal all the energy from their bounce. So they're like expecting to go flying up in the air and then there's nothing. Or you can time your bounce just right. If you're like just a second or half a second later, you can shoot them to the moon. Uh, and, and it's this great thing. So we growing up, we would call it like you steal their bounce. So I had a younger brother, and you know, we would all take turns on the trampoline. There were three of us, and we'd be bouncing, and one person would get you know, their turn to do their trick, and then the others would get their turn. And being that he was four years younger than me, and I was the middle, my older brother and I like, had some advantages, and, and he would get in there to do his turn of a flip or whatever he was going to do. And every once in a while, not every time, but you know, regularly, uh, just before he was going to perform his really amazing trick that he'd been working on for hours, we would just time that jump just right so that he he would be just be ready to flip and he would get about two inches off the trampoline and try to flip and it just, it didn't go well. And we thought it was great because we were the older brothers, but he did not appreciate it so much. And it turns out he's now bigger than both of us. And so 
We apologize regularly. <laughs> but if you've been on a trampoline, you know this. Like, this, this is the fun of it, right? You can mess with each other. And there's this dynamic of, like, stealing the energy from something or, or, or amplifying it, right? And I actually think that uh, today, as we engage with this, this pair of words of freedom and commitment, as we're, we're kind of finishing up this series around the values that our church has articulated with this last one of freedom and commitment, I think that this same idea that this, like, you, you can, like, steal or, or there's, like, this opposition that if you time your bounce just right, you just, you, like, oppose their energy and there's, like, it's just neutral. I think we bring that, that sense to the idea of freedom and commitment, that they're, like, opposed to each other, that they kind of rob each other of whatever they might have to offer. I think that's, at least if you're like me, you bring that kind of cultural assumption about the ideas of freedom and commitment. But just like a trampoline, I think that actually there's a more dynamic relationship going on. That, that if we really look closely, we might see that freedom and commitment, instead of opposing each other and robbing energy from each other, can actually be generative for one another. That when we are free, we can also commit to something, and that might generate more freedom for us. And when we commit to something, uh, we might also be free in it. And again, that might generate more life in us to enable us to commit more and then be free more. And it's, just, it's kind of this beautiful dynamic. And I think we see that type of dynamic, that, that moving, interesting, generative relationship between freedom and commitment in this story of Ruth. So let's look at this story. But if you're paying attention, you, you saw that the very first word was then, and then like it didn't identify anybody. So we need to get a little bit of context, like what's happening here? What was before the then and then what comes after this to get a sense of how this freedom and commitment plays out? And then we're gonna, we're gonna focus in on this specific story. So, so just a little bit of context. In the few verses before what we read, the book of Ruth describes how Naomi and her husband and their kids went to Moab, left Bethlehem, went to Moab because of a famine. It's not super far, but you know, between 30 and 60 miles on foot, they took a trip because they needed food. It was a desperate time. So they went. The two sons got married. They married Ruth and Orpah, who's, whose name you heard. Uh, and so Ruth and Orpah became daughters-in-law to Naomi. And then, uh, after about 10 years, everybody starts dying. So Naomi's husband dies, and then Ruth and Orpah's husbands die. And that's pretty much the only detail we get is they died. And then the next sentence starts something else. There's not a lot of spending time there, it just moves on in the story to, so Naomi decided to go back to Bethlehem. She'd heard that there was food again, that God had, God had you know, brought food back to the land. So here's Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. You can imagine them kind of standing on the outskirts of the village, and Naomi's saying, like, I'm, I'm going back. I'm taking this journey. I'm widowed. I'm kind of just going back to my homeland, and I don't really have a lot else to look forward to in life. And Ruth and Naomi, they have this interchange that we're going to come back to. Um, but essentially, Ruth decides to continue on with Naomi, and Orpah kind of stays back and goes back to her family and starts fresh. Down the road, uh, they you know, make it back to Bethlehem, and Ruth ends up having to kind of take on some manual labor through a provision, actually, that is part of the Hebrew culture that provides for widows to have food. So she gets to glean the fields. Behind, behind the people who go through the fields and pick the crops, she gets to pick up the scraps. Uh, and she's lucky enough to run into a kind of a distant relative who looks out for her. And then through another kind of provision in Hebrew culture to take care of widows, ends up marrying this man. His name's Boaz. So we're going to 
that's kind of the, a little bit of a picture of what's, what happens in the book of Ruth. And our passage is, is right there at this transition point where tragedy has happened. The, you, know, you can imagine them literally standing in a desert. Naomi's about to embark on this journey with her few possessions. And Ruth and Orpah are there, kind of in this in-between, like, what, what do we do? And they're saying, we're coming with you. Uh, and, and Naomi pushes back on that, knowing like, she's an older woman. This is my lot in life. I'm going to go back to my homeland and just kind of live out my days. But Ruth and Orpah are younger, and, and she's saying, like, you have another chance. You could start over. You should do that. Go back and do that. And, and actually, it's more than just, um, you know, it's more than just like a goodbye, I love you, good luck. Uh, there's an actual change here from any obligation that the daughters-in-law would have to Naomi. She, she uses this almost like a technical phrase. Uh, this was really interesting to me in, as I studied this week, the way that Naomi offers freedom to Ruth and Orpah from, from the cultural obligations that they would have as daughters-in-law. She says these words, may the Lord treat you well. And it, that phrase uh, it actually, it, the direct, like, really literal translation is, may the Lord do loving kindness to you. Like, this special love that God does. May God do that to you. And it only happens two other times in the Old Testament, and is a, it is an actual, like, technical release from obligation. Naomi is saying to them, you are free from any cultural binding you would have to take care of me. Go start over. I'm going to just take what I've been given and go and die in peace. You have life left. You are free. So quite literally, Ruth is free and clear to walk away and start a new life. That's, that is a real freedom. And as some of us might be thinking like, okay, so is she really free? Like her husband has died. Her father-in-law has died. Now her choices, her freedom consists of, you know, take an unknown journey with her mother-in-law to a foreign land and live like as widows and just try to make a way or like go back to my father's house in grief and mourning and like hope that some man will come and rescue me and save the day and make my life worth it again. Like those sound like really great options, right? That's freedom, yay. But the reality is I think if, we're, if we look at this, like sometimes that's our lives, we find ourselves in a desert with two not great choices and we get to pick. What do we do? Do we go back? Do we go this way? Do we go that way? What do we do? We're free to choose, though the choices don't seem great. I think this is just the reality of our lives. And this is the type of freedom that we engage with all the time. The freedom to choose between maybe choices that we don't love, but this is what we have. So I think it's important to recognize that Ruth has actual freedom here, though. It's not, it's not kind of, it's not, you know, like, it's not one of those, like, yeah, you don't need to come with me, but really, if you don't come with me, you're a terrible person. Like, it's real. Naomi has actually released Ruth, and she is free to go and do her thing. So we see freedom in the story, in this moment. But we also see a commitment, which I think is different than obligation. There was an obligation that might have been partnered with a commitment, but the obligation has been removed from what Naomi said. And now here Ruth actually takes that release of obligation, this freedom that she's given, and turns it around and says, I'm going to use this freedom. I'm going to express this freedom that you know, I've been freed from an obligation. And now I'm going to use that freedom to commit to you, 
as a person. I'm going to move towards you in commitment. And this isn't like a, yeah, I'll, I guess, you know, these two choices, I'll just tag along. Like, we'll see what happens in, in Bethlehem. This, this is a full-throated commitment. I will go where you will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth is literally leaving behind everything that she knows to become like Naomi, to, to move to another country, to worship a new God, to live in new customs, committing to be with Naomi no matter what. This is one of those ideas like, I don't know what the future holds, but it's definitely going to include me and you. And so they go. And we might think of it as an adventure because we maybe know the rest of the story, but you can imagine the fear and the uncertainty, the wondering what's going to happen to us. If we make it to Bethlehem safely, what awaits? This is Naomi's old hometown. She's kind of returning uh, without her kids, without her husband. All these things that she left with, she's coming back empty. So what's, what is there for her there? What is there for Ruth? It's, it's an unknown but they go together. Even though Ruth had every reason to walk away, no one would have faulted her for it. She chose to express her freedom, to use the freedom that she was given to commit to Naomi. And this is not to condemn Orpah. To condemn Orpah. We don't know what her story is. She went back, and she had every right to, and this is in no way saying she did the wrong thing. Because we don't, we don't have her story. We don't know what it is. But we have Ruth's story. So we're going to pay attention. I think that for Ruth, she saw her options, the reality of her life in front of her. And, and I think, I think you can, you can glean this from the story, for, through the tears, through the pleading, through the kind of the back and forth. I think that Ruth's love for Naomi compelled her to act the way that she did. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, we'll see where this goes. But there was a love that, that enabled her and compelled her to commit to the relationship, to commit to the person and say, I will go with you, even though I don't know what lies ahead. And, you know, the options don't seem great. But I'm in. It was a bit of a wild ride. Like I said, they, they were going to go walk to a new country by themselves to live as two widows, have to go through the, you know, the manual labor just to make things work, just to get food. But like I said, it, you know, it worked out well. Ruth marries Boaz, and there's some, you know, there's some sense of stability, and some of the hurt, some of the pain and suffering uh, is met in, in a new relationship with Boaz and in, uh, in some stability, in some bright future. But that's not the end of the story. We get a little picture of like what happens in this little linchpin moment where Ruth receives real freedom and, and holds that and expresses it in commitment. What happens, at, so Ruth and Boaz get married and then they have a kid whose name is Obed and he is the grandfather of King David. If you're not familiar with, uh, with kind of the, the Bible in general, King David is a direct uh, descendant, or Jesus, rather, is a direct descendant of King David, which makes Ruth David's great-great-grandmother and also uh, in the line of Jesus. Now, why does this matter? Well, I think it's important that we pay attention to who is identified as Jesus' family. 
I don't think it's a mistake or an accident or, or like haphazard who's listed as, as the line that leads to Jesus. So as we come to Ruth's name, I want to pay attention to it. And I think, I think God chose to be from the line of Ruth because he sees in her a woman who in the midst of the reality of her life, in this desert moment, literally and figuratively, she uses her freedom to do what love leads her to do, to, to bind her life or to commit her life together with Naomi. The word that's used when, when she says, no, I'm going to cling, like Ruth clings to Naomi, is the same word that's, that's used about marriage. Ruth is literally saying, like, I am tying my life up with your life, Naomi. I will not leave you. I think God sees that and chooses to be from Ruth's line because the God of the Bible is that same kind of God. The kind of God who freely chooses to do what God does not have to do. Who freely chooses to bind his life to the life of his beloved. To give himself without reservation, not just to one person, but to the whole human family because of the deep love that God has. So I think God looks at Ruth and sees in this woman someone who commits herself out of the freedom that she has, who says, I'm in. This is what love leads me to do. And and I think God says, "I I want to be aligned with you because that's the kind of God I am also. I do that same thing. What I don't have to do, I choose to do because of love. Jesus is actually the expression of this. I think Jesus comes to this world as the free commitment of God to humanity. Whatever the future holds, it will include Jesus and people. It will include God and you. That's the commitment. Whatever is out there, whatever comes down the road, it will be God and you. That's the God that Christians worship. And that's the God that invites his family to the same pattern of life, to embracing the full freedom that's been given, letting it grow and flourish in us, letting it become vibrant in our lives, and then using it to actually be freed towards something, to to commit to something, to commit to God and God's way of renewing and redeeming all things, of bringing new life. So I'm just going to take a minute, kind of pause here, invite us to take a breath, and think, what, what is the relationship for you to these ideas of freedom and commitment? It's in your own life right now. Let's just take a minute, close your eyes if you need to, just imagine, what is your relationship with freedom and commitment? I think this is a practice we need to continue to pay attention. How am I free? How can I commit? Because to be honest, like this is really hard. This is not, you know, like we can talk about it on Sunday at church and it sounds okay. But tomorrow morning, this is hard. This afternoon, this is hard. Looking at our lives and saying like, "This this is my story. I don't get to like invent a new life. This is my life. And, and finding the freedom that God has given us to choose and to commit ourselves to something else. 
So it takes some reflection. It takes some time to think, like, what's going on in me? What does freedom look like in my life right now, today? Is that something I have? Is it not something I have? Is it something I want? How do I experience freedom? But what might commitment look like right now, this afternoon, this morning? What does commitment look like in our lives now? I think it's important that we consider like what the nature of God's invitation to us is as individuals and as a community right now in the midst of our life, in this moment, whether it's a desert place or someplace that is fertile and beautiful and lush, there is an invitation for you And it takes practice to lean into that invitation to explore what is it exactly that God is inviting me to. I just want to throw some ideas out there that might be be in the ballpark. Maybe you see some space to more fully embrace the freedom God has given. That you are not obligated or indebted. Rather, you are the beloved of God and free from any obligation or debt to God. God did that for you. And if it was only you, it was worth it. God chose to give himself fully to you. Can you embrace that freedom fully? What is that like for you? Maybe that's a place of invitation. Maybe you're feeling okay with freedom right now. You're feeling feeling loose in your life. Like you can... You can embrace that and it feels right. Maybe for you it's, a, it's time to commit in a fresh way to join with God's work of making all things new. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you're here today and you've never heard this before. Maybe you're standing face to face with God, God's invitation for the first time to be free from any debt or obligation and, and you're invited for the first time, you're feeling that now, to commit to a life with God. Pay attention to that. Engage with that. Reflect on that. And talk to folks around you about that. That's a big deal. That's an important part of our spiritual journeys. I'd love to talk to you about that. Any of our leaders here would love to talk to you about that. I mean, pretty much anybody who's sitting around you, like that, that is part of our stories. So engage there. Maybe for you, it's committing to your own inner journey. We need to show up to our own lives, pay attention to what's going on in us. Maybe through that commitment, you'll find some new freedom. Because it works that way too, that you can start with the commitment and move into freedom. That can happen. Maybe it's a committing to therapy, committing to spiritual direction. Maybe it's committing to just take the journey that you've been invited on for, for so long that you just felt internally. And you say, okay, I'm going to do it. Maybe that's the invitation for you. Or maybe today you, you, you feel the need to commit to taking some meaningful action to join God's work of welcoming the stranger, forgiving the guilty, or meeting oppression with justice, loneliness with community, meeting division with unity. Maybe there's an invitation there for you. Maybe you need to take stock of what you're doing with your money and imagine ways you can partner with God with your financial power. Maybe you need to commit to volunteer with the kids here on Sunday morning or with Bridge House serving a meal. Maybe you need to get involved with our partnership with Iglesia Belen in Guatemala and figure out how you can commit part of your life so that someone else's life is better. 
Maybe you need to commit to sharing your life with a few others in regular, like raw, honest relationship or being part of or leading a community life group in this community. Maybe you need to reimagine your work, whether it's at home or you go to an office every day. Maybe you need to reimagine, like, how am I in my working hours partnering with God's good work in the world to renew and redeem? How does that work? Maybe I need to commit to reimagining that, paying attention to that. Maybe you need to commit to a more humane schedule, being home for dinner, taking a break from your work, an actual Sabbath to rest and be renewed. Maybe some freedom might emerge out of that commitment that you hadn't seen before. Friends, this is like, the sky's the limit. These are just some quick reflections that I have. I don't, I don't know your exact journey. I don't know exactly what the invitation is for you today. But I think it's there to be free in some way, in some new way, some deeper way, to experience that freedom. And not just freedom from, but also freedom to. And I think that's where the commitment comes in. That You, you can commit your life to something. And it might not be the right thing. It might not go well at first. But in some way, I think that, that we will grow in that experience. That there will be a generative movement. That life will flourish a little bit in us. And we can try again. But the invitation is open, and it's from the loving God who gave himself for us, invited us, is inviting us into this freedom that he provided to take on the same pattern of living that's free. You are not obligated. And you are free to commit, to give yourself to something, to someone. That's what God does. That's what God did. And I think that's what we see in Ruth's story. She was free to walk away. And that was all right. And she chose to give herself. Friends, you are free to do whatever you want to do. But there is a way of life that brings life that is good for you and for our world. And God is inviting you into that. And it's going to take a little bit of commitment. Show up to that commitment. So there's an invitation. Part of it is just paying attention to what's going on in your own life. But lean into it. Open yourself to it today. And imagine how you can embrace both the freedom and the commitment in front of you right now, today. Let's pray. God, you are a wild and free God, unbound and unbridled. Deliver to us this same gift of freedom again. Help us to know it in our bones. And lead us also in that freedom, in your way of devotion, of commitment, of showing up and partnering with you in the work that you are doing to bring life and light to our whole world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to have a time now uh, in offering to reflect. What might God be inviting you to do in your life, to commit to, freely commit to? I know traditionally that has looked like in the church, like open your wallet and give money. 